Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Charles Schultz. Charles is the host of the Edge of Greatness podcast. Um, he's also the owner of Superfit Ohio, which is a training facility in Columbus, Ohio. I was actually on Charles's podcast a, a month or so ago. He does a fantastic job, so make sure to check out his podcast too, which is called the Edge of Greatness podcast. And one of the things we talk about in this episode is is greatness and how to achieve greatness and what that even means. As I mentioned, Charles played collegiate baseball at Youngstown State University, was a freshman All-American there, and then talks about some of the changes that he made that you know didn't maybe necessarily help his career as a sophomore and, and junior, and how you know people listening can take note of that and make sure not to make the same mistake either. So Charles is a great guy. Um, I think no matter who you are listening to this, you're going to get a lot of value and benefit out of it. And it, it's something that I always enjoy um, talking shop with him because he always he always leaves me with something to, to contemplate and, and dig a little bit deeper and just you know, reflect on in my own life. So one of the things that I'm doing more of in 2022 is I'm sending out more and more emails, more content via emails. So if you haven't, head to patrickjonesbaseball.com forward slash develop. I'm going to be putting out a lot of content that's only going out via email. So patrickjonesbaseball.com forward slash develop. I usually send out one email a week. Um, Every once in a while, it's one every two weeks. So I I don't get into blasting out emails all the time by any of the stretch of the imagination. I want to make sure, you know, when I send an email out, there's value in it. So you can take it and help out the players that you're coaching right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is now my episode with Charles Schultz. All right, we now welcome on Charles Schultz. Charles, appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. Excited. So you are, uh, you're the host of the Edge of Greatness podcast, um, which I was just listening to an episode right before we came on with, see, it's episode number 86 with uh, Marsh Boyce. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Bice. Marsh Bice. Marsh Bice. Bice. The sales. Yeah, about sales, which is pretty cool. And, you know, the, your, the title of your podcast is The Edge of Greatness. What's your definite, like, what, what does that mean to be great? So I think. I think greatness is a multifaceted endeavor. It's something that let's start here. Actually, let's start with what greatness is not. Greatness is not results. It is not outcomes. It's not awards. It's not records. It is a set of standards and habits and rituals and routines that we live in accordance of pursuing greatness. So I think that we look at people's success and we're like, Oh, that guy's great. Well, not necessarily. I think, if you do the little things that are more in line with, I guess, chasing excellence, there's a good chance you'll achieve something great eventually. There's a, uh, there's a quote by Lombardi that I really like that I think is very cool. It's, it's we're going to per- pursue perfection, even though we know perfection is unattainable because in our pursuit of perfection, we will catch excellence. And I think that's kind of where I look at greatness is that I want to chase it with everything I do with the hopes of eventually doing the little things well enough to achieve something great. So it's, it's doing the, the, the boring things, the things you don't want to do on a daily basis. So in essence, it's, it's 
really building building systems, right? It's a, it's about building a system and then following through on the system. Is that would that be accurate? Yeah, I, I think for some people, systems is an important thing to look at because some people operate with systems very well. I personally think of it as it's an individual journey toward a destination that we have in our mind as far as like a purpose and learning how to navigate to get ourselves closer to that purpose. So when you're working with athletes, they obviously want to be great. So how do you go about instilling that in them and, and, and making it so it's, it's applicable to them at their age? So I think it's very individualized. I think that's the key to getting through to any young athlete, to anybody you're working with is finding what it is one that they truly want to achieve. Cause some people think they want to achieve greatness, but they don't understand all that goes into making that happen. So I think having real conversations with our kids is important and letting them know, look, you can achieve all of these things that you want. That's great. I love that you have these big goals, but if you want all of these big goals, you're going to have to let go of some of these other things that you think are fun to do that you want to go hang out with your friends. You want to go to the movies. You want to do all these other things that are enjoyable, which is cool. You have to find that balance. But in my mind, if you truly want to achieve greatness, certain things are going to be sacrificed. And I think if you have those relationships and you build those connections, you can have those real conversations and open the door for them to understand that all of these little things that we're working on is a specific part of your journey towards your ultimate goal. Do you think it's really though them sacrificing some of those other things like hanging out with friends or is it more so when they're there, they're just working harder and they're more focused? I think at some point sacrifice has to be made to make it to the highest level. Now, if your goal is just to play in college, you may not sacrifice that much. If your goal is to play, you know, travel baseball on your 12U team, you probably don't have to sacrifice that much. But if your end game goal is to be a professional, at some point I'm betting there's going to be a sacrifice. But here's the really cool thing is if it's something we truly care about and something that we truly want, we don't see it as a sacrifice. It's just part of what has to be done to make our dreams a reality. And I think that's the difference is that if it really feels deep down, like you're sacrificing something for this other goal, maybe the dreams you have don't line up with what you really want. And that's fine at this point, but find something that you're willing to let things go for, Mm -hmm. because ultimately I think you will find that you achieve some really high level of accomplishments. Yeah. I think I know like for me, and, and, and I'm curious to hear what what you think about this. So I know for me, I'm what you you said right there about making sacrifices and things like that is I've never really thought of that because I've always loved what I did. But what I, what I have noticed is, you know, for me, like like one day a week, like I need to do something social. Like I need to like get away. And even if it's for an hour to just like go hang out with a buddy or go to a driving range or just something social to get my mind away from everything that's going on in, in baseball and my job and everything like that. Um, and, and, and that's something that I think it can be important at times for kids too. And I, and I think about this more so from a hitting coach standpoint, right? Where it's like, we want these guys to be confident in the box. And that comes from preparation, of course, but it, it also comes from, you know, feeling like you're part of a group or a community. 
And it, I think having friends is important too, because if you're showing up to the park feeling like, you know, you have people who are in your corner and, and you have friends and things like that, you're more likely to probably be confident than if you think you're, you know, you don't have anybody backing you at all. Is that, is that accurate to, to think? No, a hundred percent. I, when I say sacrifice, I'm not saying you have to be a hermit and totally live in this bubble of what you're trying to accomplish. Because for me, I'll tell you a little story. So when I was in high school, I passed on going to parties all the time. That was not something that I was interested in. That's not something that was in line with what I wanted to do, which was be a college athlete. But I'd still hang out with friends every weekend. I'd still have people come over, but I picked my circle and I sacrificed being popular to be connected to my path. So the people I hung out with understood that I was on a journey to something else and they never pressured me to drink. They never pressured me to go out and do things. They never pressured me to do something off of that path, but I still had very good social connections. I still hung out with friends. The difference is, is that when I got to college, I kept that same routine as a freshman. It led me to being a coming an all American. But then as a sophomore, I went to parties. I started to drink. I started to hang out with more people. I started to skip out on the extra BP and the extra round balls and the extra workouts to go do social things. And so instead of sacrificing like I was before, some of the social events that I didn't necessarily need to be a part of, I enjoyed that part, which is, again, that's part of my journey to where I am now. But I'm curious what I might have become had I not gone down that path. If I would have said, you know what, I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to sacrifice a few drinks with friends. I'm going to sacrifice a party that I don't need to be at for a couple rounds of BP, a couple extra ground balls, a couple reps in the weight room. Would it have been different for me? I, I personally think it would have. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying there. I remember thinking it's kind of along the same lines as you when I was playing in college and my whole thing was like, man, like if, if I'm not going to make it to the major leagues, it's going to be because I wasn't good enough. It's like, like straight up. It's, it, that's the only reason that, that I'm not going to make it. It's not going to be because of, of a lack of work or, or anything else. And I think I definitely took that to an extreme that wasn't necessary. Um, but I don't have any regrets when it comes to my career. And I now know I just wasn't good enough because I did put in, put in the time and in the work. Did you ever go back though, after your sophomore year, when you noticed a down year, did you go back your junior year to what you were doing your freshman year or did you stay course the entire, the rest of the way? It, it took me till my senior year. I did, I did refocus my efforts. I found a new drive and a new gear, uh, but it, it was almost because I knew the end was near. And I knew I hadn't tapped into what I was fully capable of yet that I was like, you know what, I'm not going to leave not having given it all that I have one more time and see what comes of it. Why do you think you decided to change course after your freshman? You think you just got a little bit cocky because you were an all American. There's a little bit of that. Um, I got comfortable. I felt good. I wasn't being like, was your vision like, oh, I was All-American, I'm going to play my sophomore year, and then junior year, I'm probably going to get drafted, and I'll be out of here? Because of where I was, no. I no. didn't have that. I didn't have that going on. But I did feel very confident that I was on the right path to finding myself into the, in the major leagues at some point because I was one of a few freshmen who getting recognized by Louisville Slugger to be an All-American. That's, you know, I was like, okay, I'm good. Yeah, Division I, yeah, Youngstown State, yeah. Right. The other piece was there was nobody pushing me as a freshman. I was hungry. I was trying to prove something. I was trying to be 
recognized. But then as a sophomore and a junior, there was no threat. There was nothing that was in my way. And so part of me got comfortable. Part of me trusted that, well, I did it once. I can do it again. And I just kind of let little things slip. And it was never a big thing. I still worked hard. I still showed up. I still did extra stuff. I just didn't do as much. And I think that's the hard part about this is that we think we're working hard in the moment. But I can look back and tell you, I totally didn't work as hard my sophomore and junior year as I did my freshman year. Hmm. And, and I think that's where we get blind in the moment to, am I doing enough? Am I doing everything I can to get where I want to go? And I need somebody to be able to tell me in my, you know, am I cutting corners? Am I slacking? Am I not doing all the little things? Yeah. It, it, I mean, do you think that if you would have went to a bigger school where there's more competition and you wouldn't have been able to be comfortable? This is something that I think about from time to time with, you know, cause I help kids, you know, get recruited to play in college. And it's like certain kids like, okay, you could go and play at, at X, Y, and Z right away. But to your point, what if the, maybe you, you're too comfortable? And I don't know if you remember uh, Nick Saban talking about this uh, recruiting wise, right? Where it's like, yeah, you come to Alabama. Uh, yeah, you're going to have some competition down here. And if you like to compete and if you like to push yourself, then this is going to be the place for you, you know? And so like going back, do you think if you would have went to an Alabama type situation that it would have, it would change? Like, you know what I'm saying? I think there's a couple of things that could have helped me. Um, I do think a bigger school with big time recruits coming in and hungry competitive people would have been great. And again, that's not saying that the kids that came to Youngstown weren't competitive, but I also think it has something to do with the coaching and the way I was pushed. Like it was, it was a different environment for me that I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was getting driven to where I needed to be. And they let me get comfortable. They didn't stay on me to the extent where it's like, yeah, you're not good yet. You know, I, I got sucked into the, I'm good. And I, and I needed somebody to, to come in and tell me, be like, compared to what? Compared to what? I mean, you're good. So what? Now what? What's next? You know, and I didn't have that. Um, I did think about transferring after my freshman year. And I never pulled the trigger. And so part of me looks at that moment and goes, I wonder what would have changed had I taken that step and gone somewhere else and started over again at the bottom and forced myself to have to stay hungry like that. Would it have made a difference? Where were you, th- where, where were you, where were you thinking about transferring to? So there were a couple schools. Um, Akron and Kent were, or were considered a step up. They were in the Mac. Uh, Kent at the time when I was playing was, very, very good. They were college world series type of program. They were winning the Mac every year. They were competitive. I also wanted to potentially go South and get to a place where I wasn't having to fight snow in March to play baseball. Cause let's be honest, baseball's played better in the South and there's a, there's a lot more opportunities down there. And so I was open to the idea of anywhere South. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if, if, you know, a friend of mine transferred to a D2 school down south and was was loving life and living the dream. And I was like, you know what? I maybe I should do that. Maybe that was even so you would have you would have transferred from D1 to D2. I think so. Even after an all-American season as a freshman. If the program was right, 
And by right, I mean, they had better facilities. They, they wanted to compete at a high level. They were putting people into the next, into the pros. Like those things matter. Like, let's be honest. Youngstown's a great program. I love every second of my time there. And I think they're very good this year. I don't know if you've had a chance to see what they're doing, but they're playing some really good baseball. It's still Northeast Ohio. Yeah. It's still 28 degrees today in Columbus, which I'm assuming means it's 22 in Youngstown. They've had 14, 15 games already. You're not, you can't play in that. That's terrible. I don't know. I just, I just think that there's opportunities South at smaller schools that are considered D2 that it would go and just absolutely wipe the floor with small D ones. Yeah. I mean, they get so many more reps, right? I mean, they get so many more, they're outside all the time. They're able to get those reps and baseball is a game where, I mean, skills clearly matter. And so the more reps you get, I mean, the better, better chance of success you're going to have. When you grad, when you graduate after your senior year, did you have any independent opportunities to continue playing baseball or anything like that? So I had a, a roughish senior year. I, me and my coach, we had a, we had a little, falling out a little didn't see eye to eye I ended up getting benched for a little while prior to that I was getting those like postcards from different pro teams and scouts and saying they're keeping your eye on you nothing ever came of that and unfortunately because of the way my my career finished up I was kind of burnt out and disgruntled about my baseball path and what things were doing so I took a whole year and just kind of like sat on the sideline and more or less moped uh gap year yeah but at the time for me a gap year after a fourth year senior season and i'm i was older anyway i'm like nobody's gonna want a 26 year old year out of college baseball player no matter how talented i was i mean it it just turned it turned me off from pursuing the hard part of baseball you know it was a hard senior year and i was like do i really want to deal with the hard reality of professional sports because I don't think people realize the day in day out grind, the life on a bus and in a hotel room, living out of bags, playing every day, getting up every morning, trying to get back to work, get back. Like it's hard. It's not something that everyone's built for. And I think because my mentality, what my mental space wasn't there, I didn't necessarily want to pursue that halfway. Yeah. And I also don't think a lot of people don't realize how important age is in professional baseball. I mean, it is huge. I mean, it, how how an organization views an 18-year-old versus a 22-year-old even, it's completely night and day. And so that's why it's so important to be good at a young age just because you're you're, you're just you're you're viewed so much differently in the organization. Um and you know, going back to what you're talking about that professional day-to-day that the nutrition is, is terrible. I mean, it's, I mean, some of the post-game meals we would have, oh my gosh. I mean, I would legitimately look at some of these meals. I would open up, look at the meal and I would just take it right over the garbage and just throw it away. Be like, I'd rather, I'm just going to have a PB and J tonight. I mean, I don't even know what, what this food is. I've never seen anything like it. So yeah, I, you definitely made the right decision of, in my opinion of, of not, you know, wasting your, not, I'm going to say wasting your time, but you know, if you feel like you're ready to move on, you're ready to move on. You've scratched the itch and, and you're ready to roll. And I know right now you're training athletes, you know, in, from a strength conditioning standpoint too. When did that start um, taking, taking place? Right after you got done playing? Pretty close. So I graduated from school in 2007. 
officially. That was a year after playing. So I took an extra year to, to graduate. And then I did a, a road trip out West, which was kind of fun. And then came back, started working in a gym as a member consultant, but I was always drawn towards the physical activity of training. So I made friends with all the trainers in this gym and they're like, dude, you should be a trainer. And I was like, Oh, all right. Yeah. So I started researching and doing some different things. And then February, 2008, I actually started training and I've been training ever since. So what's it like at your facility? Give us a, give us some background on like how you, how you go about um, what's the system like there when it comes to a kid coming in to train. So our, our facility is a 5,000 square foot facility. We have a big turf strip that runs right down the middle. So we spend a lot of time developing routines and training specifically for athletic development. So we'll do a first half hour of every workout is warming up and then turf stuff. So we'll do either speed and agility type movements, max effort, sprinting, acceleration, change of direction. We'll do some plyometrics and then we'll move into the weight room and we alternate days from a posterior day to a push day to a leg day. And we rotate and cycle through those. And all of our training is done in a team environment. It's a group setting. So we filter kids in based on where their performance level is and they get set with a group and that group will go through and they can use that as a motivator to compete with other kids in the group. And uh, within the facility, we also have a travel baseball organization that we've partnered with that does throwing programs. Um, they do a lot of the driveline stuff. And then I also provide hitting and some different things in there as well. So it's a lot of baseball, softball activities with full athletic development. What do you like better, the, the lifting part or working with hitters? I like the flexibility that I have to do both because I think I get to coach differently in each environment. So in the hitting environment, I get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. I really get to dig in deep and get to know the kids and spend time working on little things that make big differences. In the group setting, I get to be more of a team coach which gives me a different challenge and forces me to try different tactics to influence kids to work harder and do things. And I think they balance each other out to keep me coaching at a high level. What is, what's the smartest thing you've ever done as a coach? Told a kid, I don't know. Mm, I like that. It's a good answer. Now on the flip side, what's the one thing that um, you did as a coach that, you know, maybe was like a failure, but not, but you learned from it and it made you a better coach. I yelled at a kid in an emotional moment, instead of teaching them what they did wrong, I yelled at him what, why they did it wrong. So mm. I, I, I reacted as a young impulsive coach and yelled at a kid for making a mistake, which let's be honest, when we make mistakes, we know we make mistakes. You don't need somebody to yell at you and go, you messed up. So I, I took a moment that was a big moment and I made it harder on that kid. Um, but I, also as a win and to, to flip that over after the game, I pulled that kid aside and I said, I will never yell at you again. That's on me. I apologize. And I think that our relationship became better because of that moment. Have you ever felt yourself start to feel that way again in a, in a similar moment after that? And like, what, like, what it, was it just you telling yourself, I'm, I won't ever do that again. And that's what, what did it for you? Or is there something else you, you had to do to, so I'm actually, I've been really good at when, when I do something to the extreme that really upsets me or something that I know is completely wrong. I do a very good job of 
being critical of myself and being hard on myself. And I don't typically repeat the same mistakes. Uh, I, I did some stuff. So parenting moment, my kid got pissed me off and did some things. And so I smacked him, you know, gave him a quick spanking. I spanked him pretty decently hard and it was upsetting. And he got upset and I go, you know what? I'm going to do better. I'm never going to do that. And I haven't spanked him since, at least not in that way. And it was one of those things like I yelled at this kid. I didn't like the way he, that he looked at me. And I felt like I totally just destroyed his confidence. And I was like, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. I chose not to. And, and there are still times I will raise my voice, but it'll never be directed at a person's mistakes. Mm, gotcha. On the, uh, on the business side of your, um, of the strength conditioning business that you have, what's, what are some of the things that, that maybe has, have surprised you since you since owning a business? How much work I have to do. That's not the fun stuff. <laughs> Working in the business instead of on the business. Yes. That is my least favorite thing that they don't tell you about when you're starting your own endeavor is how many things you have to do to make sure that the business is actually operating at a reasonable level. That stuff. I, I would be fine if somebody else did that, all that, all that for me. Have you ever thought of, I mean, like hiring people underneath you to do that stuff so you can focus on building the business more instead of just working in it? I have a business partner now who's very good. Uh, we split some of the duties, which helps. I would imagine if we ever got big enough to where we could afford to have somebody do all those little things, we wouldn't hesitate to do that because neither one of us likes the ownership stuff. We like the hands-on training, coaching, being with the kids, those types of things. That's, those are the things that get us going. Unfortunately, the other part has to happen in order yeah. for us to do it. So what's, what's your vision? I mean, what, what, do you, like, what would you want to see from your business in the next few years? I want a, an elite facility. I want something that's going to be 20 to 25,000 square feet full infield turf space that I can use, but I can also then do all my speed and agility on there. If we don't have a practice or somebody doing different things on ground balls and stuff like that, I want to be able to have a couple different tunnels that we can go full live. I like, so our environment that we're trying to create is we have people who come back from school and they come home and they just hang out. So they'll work out and then hang out for like an hour and a half after the workout, just talking, goofing off, being there. I want an environment that people come and hang out and are around and just want to be part of something that every, like, if, even if they're not doing any work, they're encouraging somebody else who is there's a, so like driveline, for example, is a, I, I think they do a fantastic job because they have these videos and you see all these pros come back and they're hanging out, they're talking trash, they're getting better, they're competing. And then they stick around and they're hanging out with the high school kids and the college kids that come around. And those types of things are huge. I think that that type of environment is so valuable, not only for the athletic side, but learning what it's like after sports, what am I going to do next? And those types of things. Yeah. Building, building that community is, is so important and so cool to, to be able to, to see and just play a small part in that. The thing that I, that I see is, which is hard with a, a big facility is just making it work numbers wise. I mean, you see a, a, like really any facility that I see that's successful, like a drive line or someplace like that, 
you know, like they obviously have a lot of people that train there, but they, they make a lot of money online too. And that offsets some of this stuff too. Is that something that maybe, you know, you're thinking about potentially doing is, is coming out with, with different things, resources online for people. What's funny is that you said that I literally just brought this up with my business partner the other day that maybe we should start reaching out to high school coaches and, and organizations that aren't in our area that need help in the strength and conditioning department and sell programs because most high schools, now a lot of them are trending towards getting strength coaches. Most high schools, the head coach has to put together the strength program. I don't know about you, but as a head coach, that's the last thing I want to do. That's the last thing I'm trained to do. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here because I know a sport, not because I trained the sport. And so if we could provide a service that would help them facilitate exercise for these young men and women to stay healthy, get strong, be better. And at the same time, take something off that coach's plate. I think there's some, there's something out there for that. Yeah, that would be really cool. I mean, would your vision for that be like across the state of Ohio, Midwest? I mean, just, or just kind of see where, what, what ends up happening. I mean, I'd be open to going further than that. However, I think the further you go, the harder it would be to have that communication. Although in this day and age, we have such an ability. I mean, obviously we're having a conversation via Zoom. We could zoom into a workout, see what's going on and then go, hey, here's where I see some issues with your, your training. This is what you can do better to make it more organized. These are some things that you can do. That guy's not doing his squat right. And different things like that. We could provide that service no matter where you are. So I guess limiting it to Ohio doesn't necessarily make sense. Obviously, I think starting here because we know more people makes sense, but I, I don't see it stopping here. I mean, if we could get all the way out to California and, and help a group out there, then fine, you know, whatever. Do you, do you go, do you go out and watch high school baseball games at all? When I can, it, yeah. it's, it's hard for me because a lot of my training is in the afternoon and evening, but I right, try to yeah. get away at least, I don't know, four to six days, four to six times a season to go watch a game, see one of my athletes play. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, it's the same, same for me too. I mean, I, you know, I work with pitters at, at nighttime, so it's harder to, to do that. I mean, I mean, I'm really excited for the month of April to, to be able to go out and watch some games. I mean, you know, I'm only an hour and a half from you. So the weather's pretty much the same, you know, in both places. I mean, this past weekend it was canceled. It was snowing, you know, it, we got canceled because of snow. So High school baseball is tough. I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, I've coached high school baseball for two, for two years. I coached it. It's not as easy as it looks. I know everyone has great ideas on how to go about helping it and improve it, but it's, it's just, you know, there's time and space constraints. Um, and, and, and all these coaches are, are pretty much doing it for literally nothing. They're probably losing money at the end of the day. Um, right. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely see a lot of room for improvement, from a development standpoint at the high school level. Um, but I think it's going to require some coaches to admit that they don't know everything. And I think for some coaches, that's hard to do. I would agree. I think there's a lot of, in any sport or any environment where you have as many teams as baseball, you're going to have a lot of people who have the, well, this is how I did it syndrome or the ego syndrome that's going or like, that's just part of the, the beast. I do think that there are some incredible coaches in central Ohio that I've been very lucky to make connections with. Uh, there, 
I mean, I can think of at least five to six local teams that I could go watch that would be some high caliber baseball being played no matter what year I went to watch them. And I think that's kind of fun. But like you said, there's not a lot of money. And so if you don't have a love for the game, it's real easy to get, well, I did enough today, you know, and and letting some of this stuff slide. And then your program just kind of is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It is fun though. I tell you what I do. I do like it in the, in the sense that it is about winning. Right. And I think summer baseball is, is hit or miss on that, depending on where you're at. Uh, I know in the professional game, having been there in the minor leagues, uh, winning's not prioritized, at least where I was at anyway. I know, I mean, they, everyone says it is, but you're not playing to win. I mean, when they, when they, when they tell you who's playing where and, and what, where they're hitting in the lineup, it's, you know, you're not exactly playing to win, but so I don't know. We'll see what ends up happening here. But if there's anything we can do to help, you know, once you you kind of get that program out and running um, and, and, you know, get the news out, you know, we'd be more than happy to. And um, again, please, Charles, the, the floor is yours. So if you want to, you know, tell everyone where they can find you at, please uh, promote yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the best way to find me is www.theedgeofgreatnessproject.com. On there, you can find my book that I just wrote. You can find my blog posts, links to my podcast. And I don't know if it has all my social media connections or not, but uh, if not, you know, I'm really mostly active on Twitter. And then I have, you know, Facebook and Instagram, but they're not nearly as active as the the Twitter one. Awesome. Charles, appreciate you coming on the show, man. It's been a lot of oh, fun. Oh, absolutely. No, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it.